he raised a man from death, this, this unusual rabbi Jesus. He raised a man uh, in the power of his word. He, he raised a man from the realm of death, a man who had been dead for four days. And in the power of his word, he raised him from death uh, back into life. And there were witnesses who verified this uh, perhaps most astounding miracle performed by this most astounding Jesus. And the witnesses couldn't contain themselves, so they went all over the place telling people about this. And in their enthusiasm, they told the Sanhedrin. And that's the uh, organization, I think I told you about this, consisting of Jewish select Pharisees primarily, who were the, uh, in that day, uh, they were the equivalent of Congress for the Jews. They were the religious political leaders. And they were incensed by the growing popularity of this unauthorized Rabbi Jesus. And uh, listen to this irony, they began to plot the death of the one who had the power to raise people from the, de the dead. It's a terrible thing that the Lord Jesus, uh, his execution was being planned by his own people. Uh, soon he'll die. Now he knew about this. He didn't go into this uninformed. He's God. He saw this coming. And so you might ask the question, what did he do in the literally last few days of his earthly existence? And if you're wondering about the answer, wonder no more because the text before us tonight will very clearly tell us how he spent his last days. Here it is. It's in John chapter 12. So if you would like to turn there, fine, or if you're more comfortable, please feel free just to listen. John chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. Bethany, I told you about this small village on the... Uh, Mount of Olives, right across from Jerusalem, separated by a valley called the Kidron Valley. Jesus, six days before the Passover, he has six days left. He'll die on the Passover. He's the Passover lamb. It must be this way in fulfillment of Scripture. Six days before his death, he came to Bethany where Lazarus was. He's the one who was raised from the dead whom Jesus, it says, had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. He went to dinner with those whom he loved. And Martha was serving. Martha was one of the sisters of Lazarus. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Folks, the resurrection of Lazarus was no illusion. There he is now, seated at table having literal, physical communion, fellowship with the Lord Jesus. He's eating food, and his appetite, I'm sure, had changed enormously. And this Jesus, who has the capacity to have raised one, Lazarus, from physical death, I hope you know this, has the capacity to raise ones like you and I from the throes of spiritual death. I pray he's invited you to do that. When it happens, you have new vital fellowship with the Lord, such as Lazarus did, and your appetite for new things changes. Your whole value system 
changes, your perspective, your outlook. That which you used to devour and consume now leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And your taste buds, your spiritual taste buds have changed. Now you have an interest in the word which comes from God. You want to not only know it, you want to do it. Now you have an interest in like-minded people who bow before the Lord Jesus. Now you expend your resources, time and money in an entirely different way. No preacher did this to you. This Jesus who can raise people from physical death and from entombment to sin, he makes the difference, you see. And so here's what happened, verse 3. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Nard is made from a plant. Uh, and sometimes they use the stem or spike of this plant to produce this very fragrant and costly perfume. Hence, it's sometimes called spike nard. You do not get it in Israel. You have to go to the far recesses of the northern part of the Himalayas in India, and you have to extract it and bring it back to Israel by camel. And so this accounts for its expense and value and rarity. It was hard to appropriate. Remember, that's what Mary had possession of, and she used it in devotion to the Lord. It would have been kept in an alabaster container and opened only on very special occasions. And then it was not unusual for single women to wear a little perfume bottle as a necklace around their neck in which were the contents of nard, this fragrant perfume, and they would make use of it at their wedding. Apparently for Mary, her weddedness to the Lord meant much more to her than anything else, including this costly perfume. And so she anointed his feet with it. And then the text says she wiped his feet not with a towel, as you would expect. The text says she wiped his feet with her hair. And why didn't she use a towel? Would you allow me to speculate? I think it's because none of this was planned. This was spontaneous. She didn't have a towel. She only had her hair. Something about her moved her to do this wonderfully impractical thing and expend her rare Spike nard on the Lord Jesus Christ. And she was just caught up in her devotion to the Lord. And she just spontaneously, I think, poured out her costly perfume on his feet. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. By the way, this is quite unusual because Jewish women would never, never unbraid or un loose their hair in public, for that was a sign of the woman being morally loose. Well, this is exactly what Mary did. She didn't care. Her worship was focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, and she was not seeking the approval of anybody else. She just gave in to this, uh, I think, Holy Spirit-produced urge to do something wonderfully irrational and impractical 
out of her pure devotion for the Lord Jesus. Have you ever had promptings like that where the Lord is stirring you up to send someone a card, condolence card, or a gift, maybe to empty out your wallet or purse at a moment when you hear about a need and you're just stirred up in your heart to contribute to it, or, or maybe to make a visit to someone or to make a call. If you've had an urge like that, uh, I have, and I have found out if you wait long enough, it'll go away. <laughs> you don't want to do that. You want to be like Mary. You just want to cast caution to the wind. And when you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit... You don't want to think it out of existence. Just do it. Make the call. Make the visit. Give the gift. Just do it out of wonderful irrationality, out of your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we would be wiser to do as Mary and just give in to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Well, her devotion to the Lord was so extravagant that the text says the whole house was filled with the fragrance if you can imagine it, of the perfume. All present, in other words, were affected. Everyone there could enjoy the fragrant aroma of Mary's devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may be wondering just practically, how did she pull this off? How did she, in fact, anoint the Lord's feet if he, if he was seated at table ready to dine? Well, he wasn't seated nor were any of the other guests. They were reclining at table, not sitting. This was the custom then. It would be a low table. They would rest their heads on their left arm. They would eat with their right arm. Their head would be close to the table. Their feet, you see, would be extended on a couch-like piece of furniture. Their feet would be extended back and away from the table. And you see, this is how Mary, without interrupting things, could have easily anointed the Lord's feet. Mary, by the way, is mentioned three times in the Bible, and interestingly, every time she's at the Lord's feet. The first was in Luke chapter 10, verse 39, and we see her seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And then in John chapter 11, which we read some time ago, verse 32, we see her falling at the Lord's feet. She's overcome by grief because her brother Lazarus had died. Now we see her in the text before us tonight, again at the Lord's feet, this time to worship him. We should follow Mary's example. We should position ourselves at the Lord's feet, both to learn from him and to pour out our broken hearts before him and to worship him. I think Mary set the pace for us. Now the verse says, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume. Folks, it's a Roman pound 12 ounces, still a substantial volume of an expensive perfume. I have to tell you, folks, Mary did not give the Lord what cost her nothing, nor should we. There's some sacrifice involved. And so she was willing to offer it. Why not? The Lord had shown his love to her family. Mary is showing her love back to him. And this is the way it is. It is not that we first loved him. It's that he first loved us. Our love is simply in response. And it wasn't, by the way, just Mary who loved the Lord. Her sister Martha did as well. Verse 2 told us Martha was there serving. 
This seemed to be typical of Martha's temperament. So Mary showed her love for the Lord one way, Martha in another way. Mary showed her love for the Lord by worshiping, Martha by serving. We're constructed differently, aren't we, you and I? Our makeup is different. Our God-given temperament is different. Don't compare yourself to another. Make your love for the Lord authentic. Devote yourself to him your way in terms of who you are. Some of us are more reflective. We worship. Some of us are a little more action-oriented. We serve. What's the difference? We don't compare ourselves to one another. Only make an offering to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume we read. And soon the fragrant aroma, as you can imagine, would find its way through open doors and windows so that those passing by would be able to take it in as they inhaled. They too would inhale the very sweet and fragrant aroma of this costly perfume. May it be that as with Mary, a sweet and fragrant aroma emanates from Christ in us to those around us. May the fruit of the Spirit be so evident to passers-by who we come in contact with that they see the presence of the Lord. Galatians tell us, tells us, here's the evidence of it, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, those things. May what was true of Mary be true of us. Now, this is the second time a scent, an odor, was associated with this family. The first time was when the Lord Jesus commanded that the tomb stones be removed so that Lazarus could be raised from the dead and walk out. And Martha intervened and said, but Lord, the smell, the stench of his deteriorated corpse entombed now for four days will be too hard for us. Don't do it. And now we see a different odor associated with the family. Here now is the odor, not of death, it's the wonderful fragrance of worship, different kind of perfume. This is how it will be for us, folks. First, there may be the odor, the sting of death, but it will, for Christians, eventually be replaced ultimately and eternally by the fragrant aroma of our unbridled devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary is devoted, but Judas... Look how that's introduced, those two words, in verse 4. So we're fixing to see a contrast. We're being set up for contrasting lives. One life was characterized by a person's devotion. Now we'll see another life, and it was characterized by that person's deceit. But Judas Iscariot, Iscariot is not his last name. Iscariot probably means he was from a village, a city in Judea known as Keriot. This is Judas from Keriot. But Judas Iscariot, one, think of it, of his, the Lord's disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, these are the first recorded words of Judas in the Bible, he said, why has this perfume not been sold for uh, 300 denarii and given to poor people. See, a denarii was the equivalent of a day's wage for a soldier or a laborer. So 300 denarii, the cost of the perfume which Mary expended in devotion to the Lord, would essentially be the equivalent of a full year's salary on average. And so 
Mary's extravagant show of devotion to the Lord, it just didn't make sense to Judas. And we shouldn't really be surprised by this because we should never expect people who do not know the Lord to ever understand our irrational devotion to the Lord. They're just not going to get it, you see. Don't be surprised. The extravagance seemed absolutely crazy to Judas, who apparently had such a heart for poor people. Or did he? Verse 6. Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor. Nope. But because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Now the word in your Bible, bag or money box, comes from two Greek words. Listen, they're interesting. One is tongue, and the other is to keep. Why? This box was meant to be a place in which musicians put their tongues, their, the tongues of their instruments, the reeds of their woodwind instruments, they would put it in this bag or money box. So it was known as a tongue or reed box. But then people in their travels converted it to a different use. They would put their money or valuables in it. The Lord and his followers had this. Why? Because their ministry was being supported by contributions from contributors. Folks, when you're given the opportunity to support the ministry of missionaries or people doing works of service today, please don't think it's unbiblical. How do you think the Lord and his disciples were materially sustained? Money was given, it was put in this money box, it was used to sustain them, and it was given to them so that they could do ministry to poor people and other needy folks. Now, it was entrusted to Judas, I take it he was the treasurer of this group of the Lord's followers, and he was stealing from it. That's what he was doing. Therefore, verse 7, Jesus said, let her alone, said with reference to Mary, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, whether Mary knew it or not, she is anointing a body that is already as good as dead, the Lord's body. She poured out her costly perfume just shortly before the Lord would be pouring out his costly blood for Mary and for you, and for me. And so in verse 8, we read, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Some people are mistaken about this verse, and they say, See, Jesus had no heart for the poor. No, no, that's a misinterpretation. The Lord does not want his followers to forget the poor people. He's simply saying, Don't forget that you have a time-limited opportunity to embrace me. He's saying access to him on earth is brief. The poor will be there. You know what he's saying? Some acts of goodness and service are not time-bound. You could always do it, but others must be done now. Prioritize what's urgent, what will always be there. That's essentially what he's That's what he's saying. And Mary got it. And so she's showing her devotion to the Lord, frankly, before it's too late. And what she did gave the Lord an experience. It was 
It was the experience of taking in, frankly, his last good inhalation, his last sweet smell here on earth before he died. And uh, it's an interesting thing that she did. Let me emphasize it this way. In Mark chapter 16, verse 1, we read, when the Shabbat, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, that means Mary from Magdala, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James, many Marys in the Bible, and Salome, these ladies, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. The Lord had been crucified out of respect. These ladies took it upon themselves to anoint his body. But I noticed from this list of ladies, someone is notably absent. Where is the Mary of Bethany who we're reading about here? She's not in on that occasion. Why not? I think it's because she had already anointed him. She, remember, she rendered this act of devotion and respect to the Lord when he was alive, not dead. She rendered this impractical act of unashamed devotion while she had the chance. She didn't want to miss it. What about you and I? We would do well to follow Mary's example and show our devotion to the Lord while we still have an opportunity. You are going to die, and me too. And I have no idea when. It could be years from now or tonight. Don't miss the opportunity while alive here on earth to render to the Lord service, worship, and devotion while there is the opportunity to do so. And my, how the Lord appreciated what Mary did. Listen to his words, his very words in Mark chapter 14, verse 9. He said, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. You want evidence of that? Who are we talking about tonight? 2,000 years later, we're talking about Miriam. That's her name, Mary, 2,000 years later. Great, godly man now with the Lord, Alexander McLaren said the fragrance, the fragrance was soon dissipated in the scentless air, but the deed smells sweet and blossoms forever. So we have just seen contrasting lives. We have seen the devotion of a marvelous woman, Mary, and we have seen the deceit of a horribly sinful man, Judas. Her life was spent in selfless devotion to the Lord, his in senseless devotion to material things that end up mattering not. Her life was very pleasing to Almighty God, the giver of life. His was dissipated and wasted. I simply want to end in a simple question. Which lifestyle do you and I emulate? I really want to follow Mary's example. What about you? I don't want to waste opportunities as did 
Judas. I want to make use of this very transitory, relatively brief time on earth. I want to make use of it, not pouring out literal perfume, but the very stuff of my life, don't you? Resources, money, time, talent. I want to pour it out on the Lord's crucified, buried, resurrected body. I don't want to stand before him one day and find out, I missed so many opportunities. When the Bible says he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, I wonder if one of the causes of tears is we will realize how we squandered our time, our talents, our treasures here on earth. Folks, it's passing. Make a commitment. And like Mary, don't worry about whether people support you, encourage you, recognize you, respect you. We serve for an audience of one. I would love to be worthy of the commendation which the Lord pronounced upon Mary. I would love for him to take such notice of radical, impractical acts of devotion on my part, of such irrational expenditure of resources on him in worship and service that one day he'll take note of it. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you? I'm a saved individual, irreversibly so. I am not working for my salvation. I want to celebrate it and respond to it rightly by, act, by acting like a saved person. And I want to pour out the perfume of resources upon the Lord's crucified and resurrected body just as Mary did. Whatever else is going on in this sin-sick, unstable, crazy world, our job is defined. It's to draw near to Jesus privately as Mary did when she fell at his feet and it is to declare him publicly as she did when, he, when she poured out her costly, expensive perfume. Folks, don't look around. Let the Lord in the power of his Holy Spirit carve out for you. What is it that he has for you? What is the package of love that you're supposed to deliver for him? Just do it. Don't worry about what others think. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. One day, can you imagine the risen Savior saying, now he'll say to every one of his kids, don't get worried. He'll say, welcome home. But frankly, I hope you don't think this is selfish. I would like him to say, good job. That's all. Good job. I don't want to, ha I don't want to hang my head and say, oh my goodness, I squandered opportunities. I used my money on things that are not sinful, but they're just material things. They're going to burn. I, I, I didn't spend my time rightly. I didn't support those going off to Argentina, those going off to Africa. And soon, my friends, they're seated right there, going off to Sturgis to take the gospel to people. I want to support people like that. I don't need a bigger TV, do you? I don't need that. I want to expend my, re I want Mary to be my role model. I want to follow Mary. I really want to avoid Judas's way. My heavens, he had intimate access to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in the inner circle. So apparently proximity to the Lord does not guarantee our sincere and authentic devotion to the Lord. I want to be like Jerry Sicani 
who's 81 years old and could be settling in, in these, at this phase of his life and goes off around the world because he said, many have not heard, how could they if we don't go? That's the perspective of a man who's walked with the Lord for decades and he doesn't look around and he doesn't care what people think. There are some people who will think there's something wrong with Jerry Sicani. He ought to be golfing. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. He ought to be expending his resources to do this or do that. And instead, he's expending his resources to take the gospel to those who haven't heard. Folks, pick the right role models. Run like crazy when you run into someone like Judas, even in church. Find Marys and Jerrys and Jonathans and uh, guys like the Hellfighters. Follow an example of impractical, irrational expenditure of resources poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing inside he's worth it. And it's a great investment in eternity. Yearn, not for silver and gold, but for the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that your heart's desire? Then bow your head, would you please? I give you just a brief time Do some business with the Lord. No one's looking. No one's hearing. He can read your heart. If you have to confess a kind of a lukewarmness, maybe. If you have to confess maybe an undue investment in the stuff of this world, then do it. Confess it. Get over it. Move past it. Thank the Lord for forgiving you. Make a fresh start on this July 11th. Say, oh God, I recommit. I want to be like Mary. I want to pour out what you've entrusted to me upon your crucified and resurrected and ascended body in devotion and worship and service. And I don't care what people think and I'm not looking for a vote of approval. I'm just moved by your spirit in me to get radical about being a bondservant of yours. That's who I am, Lord. I'm not black. I'm not white. I'm not a male or a female. I'm not old or young or rich or poor. My essential identity is that I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Help me to function that way so that one day there might be justification for you to pronounce upon me in addition to your welcome home and good job good and faithful servant. Oh God, that's my heart's desire. Have your conversation, please. Lord Jesus, that you saved us is an inexpressible gift enough to cause us to be grateful forever. But that in addition to saving us, you take ones such as us, impart to us spiritual gifts, and invite us (laughs) to serve you, a king above all kings. This is a great privilege for those of us who feel put out and put off and not apart and inferior and all the rest. What? We've been promoted bondservants of the king above all kings. Oh, God, maybe we've been lackadaisical 
about it. You've heard from some people here tonight. Thank you for their sincerity and authenticity. I pray you would now take their unspoken expression of their heart's desire and infuse them with an interest like Mary in devoting herself and pouring out upon you whatever resources you've entrusted to them, to me, to all of us. This is the time not just to come to church, but to be the church in such fashion that a fragrant aroma of the presence of Christ emanates from us to those we come in contact with in this sin-sick world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us and putting us into service. This we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.